Welcome to the Mending Trauma Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Hoyt, and along with my sister, Lena Hoyt, a licensed marriage and family therapist, we want to help you recover from trauma, whether it's childhood trauma, complex trauma, PTSD, or any other trauma sustained from abuse or narcissistic relationships, we want to help you develop skills and ways that can help you to recover from the symptoms and the effects of trauma. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hi, Amy here. Are you feeling stuck or overwhelmed by things that pop up in your daily life? And perhaps these are because of past traumas or toxic stress. Have you tried traditional therapy and found that it wasn't enough? I know that was the case for me. That's why we developed the Whole Health Lab. Mini Trauma has put together a program that combines the latest research with proven methods to help you recover from trauma and move forward from these daily stressors and triggers. We use somatic therapy, EMDR, cognitive behavioral therapy, and internal family systems therapy. We use nervous system regulation, and many other tools so that we can combine the best methods that are identified in the research to help you recover without being completely overwhelmed. So you can work on trauma on your own pace, your own time, and still with the mentorship and support of a highly trained certified staff. That's us. No more waiting for appointments or sitting in traffic, driving to see a therapist. With our online program, The Whole Health Lab, you can access it from anywhere, anytime, even on an app. Visit mendingtrauma.com backslash whole health lab and learn more. Get your questions answered. We've got a frequently asked questions section and sign up so that you can have this life-changing program in your world today. Don't let your past hold you back any longer. Take control of your future and we can't wait to see you in The Whole Health Lab. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about polyvagal theory and what it has to do with trauma. So let's first look at who came up with polyvagal theory and what it is. Um, Lena, you want to start us out? Sure. So the, um, I don't know if you call him a founder, but the originator of polyvagal theory is Dr. Stephen Porges. And it's something that he has been working on for a few decades, but until recently, it hadn't been part of the mental health therapeutic field. Um, I would say probably in the last, probably two years, there's been a lot more attention paid to it. But I think that it started becoming part of the lexicon of therapy about five or 10 years ago. And its impact and its uh, way of explaining how our body reacts to stress and trauma has been really helpful in working with people who've had trauma. Absolutely. And when we think about polyvagal theory, and we're going to break this down for everyone, but when we think about it, it's really important to keep in, in mind that it is a theory that explains how we are um, looking for cues of safety or cues of danger constantly. And that, that, that awareness isn't really there when we're quote unquote looking, it's all below the conscious awareness. And so it's more like our nervous system is looking for that. Yes. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. So because theories tend to be complicated, let's break this down. 
what are the three um, main parts of polyvagal theory? Well, the three main parts are his concepts of number one, co-regulation, which is the idea that nervous system speaks to and picks up on other nervous systems, particularly when we're talking about an adult with a child, um, co-regulation becomes very important. And it actually happens when we're young and babies, co-regulation happens before any kind of self-regulation can occur. So if you have a parent who was unavailable in your early life because of illness or depression or um, working three jobs to survive, then you didn't get a lot of co-regulation. And so when we don't get a lot of co-regulation, we have difficulty with self-regulation. So that's the first concept. Let me just um, add in that because, you know, we've experienced this in our family, medically fragile infants who have spent an extended period of time in the hospital also have a difficult time learning co-regulation initially, especially, you know, several of my kids spent several months in the hospital during their first year. And, you know, you're in an incubator by yourself. There's no one regulating with you and teaching you to self-soothe through, um, you know, right, co-regulation. And so it can also be an experience or a circumstance such as that. Yes. And I think about like when your twins were born and I went to the hospital to see them. And when a baby is in the incubator, thank goodness we have those, right? But they are completely shut off from other people. And um, it's medically necessary for survival. And it also has a profound effect on the nervous system and the way the nervous system perceives um, cues of danger and safety. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's not lost on me that the two children I have that have spent the most time in a hospital in their first year of life um, are the ones that we focus on nervous system health and ner- nervous system flexibility with in our family. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and like so much of what happens, it's nobody's fault. Right. Um, and and I think that's really important to realize is that um, if you didn't get co-regulation when you were younger, be- regardless of the reason why, um, being able to recognize that nobody did it on purpose and that um, it still impacted us can be really powerful in our own healing journey. Absolutely. And as always, the reason we are sharing this information is because our nervous systems have neuroplasticity and that can be changed. So even if you are someone who didn't get co-regulation, we're going to talk about what to do to learn co-regulation. So there's always, always hope with this work, which is my favorite part. Yes, love that too. Okay, why don't you talk about a little bit about neuroception? That's kind of an interesting concept. I love the concept of neuroception. So neuroception is the part of polyvagal theory that states that below our conscious awareness without any, you know, knowledge, cognitive knowledge, our body, our nervous system is constantly sending out and receiving signals of either safety or danger. 
And based on those signals, it will mount either mobilizing energy or immobilizing energy, depending on what is needed to protect us at that time. And so neuroception, I, I think of it as Wi-Fi, like human Wi-Fi. So you walk in a room and your Wi-Fi, your human Wi-Fi through your nervous system, through neuroception is constantly um, attuning to the, the context, the people, the circumstances of the room. Um, maybe Bluetooth would be more accurate. Basically, we don't know what's happening and our body is reacting in ways that are um, basically trying to help us navigate whether that situation is safe or dangerous. Yes. I'm, I really like that comparison. I've been talking a lot to my teens and young adults about this and about how you can walk into a room where an argument has just happened and you weren't present for the argument, but you have a bodily felt sense of tension from the room. You know, last week I had an experience with one of my children and, um, you know, I was not super happy with one of his choices, but I didn't say anything because I'm really big on choice. If it's not, you know, if it's not high stakes choice. So this was a low stakes choice he made. I wasn't super happy, but I didn't say anything. And when we talked about it a few hours later, he said, I felt a lot of pressure from you. And I said, I, but I didn't say anything. I like, I was regulating myself and he said, but I could feel it in your body language. And so that instantly reminded me that I was putting out these signals without, I mean, I was trying so hard not to, not to worry about it. This is his life. This is not a high stakes situation. And he still picked up on it right away. So what that taught me is a couple things. One, we still want to regulate our external actions. So it was still a good thing that I didn't say, hey, I want you to do this even though you don't want to do it. And even though, you know, this is your choice. So I was able to stay quiet and I thought I was being supportive because I was explaining to other people around like, this is his choice and we're not going to, you know, go against his choice. Well, he picked up on it. And so that teaches me that I did as much as I could um, externally. And sometimes there's not a lot we can do because I didn't even realize <laughs> that my human nervous system Wi-Fi was like sending out <laughs> pressure, pressure, pressure. <laughs> so I, I have to admit, I felt a little defeated at the end of the day because I was like, I was working so hard to like keep myself together and be supportive. And yet he could feel, and that's okay. That's okay. Cause this is a first step. And when we're, you know, dealing with other humans, we are, there's no way we can be perfect. No. The, the, one of the things I really like about what you're describing, Amy, is that, um, you obviously have created enough uh, emotional safety around communication with this child that he could talk to you about the pressure he felt and you didn't get reactive and blame him and angry about how you were doing the best you could and right nothing's good enough for you etc cetera, etc cetera. which are messages we heard growing up yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I've worked very hard yeah. on that. So that's just yeah. an example of neuroception in action. And um, yeah, 
but I love, love, love the concept. I think it's so intriguing. It is. It really explains so much of what um, happens in our body without us having any conscious thought. Like you don't walk into a room and sense tension and think to yourself, I'm sensing tension. I wonder what happened in this room two minutes ago. You don't, I mean, it's just something your body feels. Yeah. Right. And then you start responding. Yes to that context. And we're going to get into those responses in a little bit, but what's the third pillar, if you will, of uh, polyvagal theory? The third pillar is what um, Dr. Parr just calls hierarchy. And it's the idea that we have these three different types of responses in our nervous system and that they are in a hierarchy. And This concept also, I think, is really powerful to understand when you've had trauma and you have these reactions to things that don't make logical sense to you. Yeah. And one thing I love to point out to people in our program is that the hierarchy isn't based on, you know, best, decent, fail. It's actually an evolutionary hierarchy based on how our nervous system was developed evolutionarily over time, hundreds of millions of years ago. And so um, let's explain the hierarchy really quick. Do you want me to do that or do you want to do it? Okay. So the first part of the um, nervous system, the autonomic nervous system that was developed is called dorsal vagal. And the dorsal system if you think about the animal kingdom, it was developed as a protective mechanism where you are immobilized. So I think of, you know, we a, a mouse playing dead, or I think of a gecko, like blending in to its environment. So um, it's, it's a protective mechanism. And the dorsal vagal response in humans looks like um, shutting down. I always think of it as depression for myself. I think of um, acute anxiety and kind of not being able to make a decision. I think of numbing out, um, feeling very disconnected from self, others, spirit. Um, And so what's interesting, though, is... We do need dorsal vagal energy, even though it's very, very low energy, because the dorsal vagal um, part of our autonomic nervous system is in charge of resting and is in charge of digesting. So it's not like this is a bad thing. It's just that when we're mounting a defense, we tend to shut down in dorsal vagal. Um, The next... um, part of our autonomic nervous system that was developed on the hierarchy, if you're going up, dorsal being at the bottom, the next part was the sympathetic nervous system. And this is where we have a lot of mobilizing energy to either mount a fight or to flee. And so we need energy if we're going to be aggressive to an attacker, or we need to run away from a threat. And so sympathetic is in charge of that energy. And then finally, the last part of our nervous system, the autonomic nervous system that developed is called ventral vagal. And ventral vagal is about being open for connection. It's about um, creativity. It's about feeling 
rested, even though dorsal's in charge of rest, ventral vagal, you feel rested and ready to connect with others. And that's really where we want to live, right? I mean, everyone feels best when they're in a ventral vagal state. Correct. And I love how in the program, you talk to us a lot about the goal isn't to just stay in one state permanently. First of all, that's impossible. Um, And Secondly, it's not protective because there are some times that we need to respond to a real threat. Um, But when we were talking this morning about some of the things we love about this theory, one of the things that came up was the idea that if we can operate from a place of parasympathetic ventral vagal, then the other two states serve a more adaptive function outside of a threat response. So you can have this energy that gets mobilized and sympathetic that is not a response to a threat, but it allows you to have the energy to play or to explore or these kinds of things. And, you know, Deb Dana is the therapist that really took Stephen Porges's theory and made it applicable in mental health work. And I think that um, she talks a lot about being anchored in ventral vagal. So we're anchored in ventral vagal, but we are not living there 100% of the time because the goal is a flexible nervous system. And the goal is to be able to mobilize when we need it and to immobilize when we need it. Because I love to rest and I want my digestion to work. So we need all of these states and um, they serve a very important purpose. So what does this have to do with trauma and what happens to a person who has experienced trauma with, in relation to these different states of the autonomic nervous system? Well, we talk a lot about hypervigilance because that's one of the symptoms of um, trauma is you become very alert to perceived threat. And what happens with neuroception is your neuroception and what you pick up on is impacted by the things that have happened to you in the past. So if you have hypervigilance, you are sometimes going to have an error in your neuroception. Your, your nervous system is going to pick up threat that is not actually life-threatening. And when we understand that, we're able to realize that we can pay attention to our body. And then from there, we can actually look for cues of safety and connection. Yeah. It's, it's that benevolent curiosity that we talk about a lot where you're, you're not shaming yourself for feeling hypervigilant, but then you start getting really curious in a loving way about why am I feeling this way? Am I actually in danger or, or, is there some safety here? And this is going to always happen in relationships. So with trauma, our, you know, our relationships, our trauma usually always happens in relationships. And that's where we're going to see the most ruptures and the most um, challenges in terms of repair and going on with our life, being able to stay anchored in ventral vagal. So um, let's talk a little bit about how that might show up 
in a relationship, that hypervigilance and how we can kind of, what cues of safety can we look for when we're feeling like, I'm not sure if this person's quote unquote safe for me to be in a, it connected to. Yes. And as a caveat, when we've had a lot of developmental trauma or trauma in our childhood home, we actually are drawn to people who show up the same way that our family dynamics were. And that's no, yeah, it's, it's no fault of our own. And when we are looking for cues of safety, we can look for the situation. Let, let's say you and I are um, in the kitchen talking to each other and we're talking about something difficult if I become aware of what's happening in my body and my nervous system, then I can ground myself in the moment, like in this kitchen, I'm safe. Amy loves me. Um, I can remember times that you and I have laughed together. There are different ways to do this. One of the things that we talked about last year in one of our presentations is that one thing you can do is you can go outside and you can just walk. And if you see people smile at them and look for their smile back, or you can go outside, maybe you go to a park and you see people playing. Those are cues of safety that ha- that your neuroception, that you'll pick up through neuroception. What else do we want to talk about with polyvagal theory, Lena? Is there anything else before we move on to kind of how to use this to our listeners' advantage? I I think that one of the greatest benefits of polyvagal theory is it takes blame out of how your nervous system responds. And the idea is you're not doing this to yourself. Like your nervous system is going to have a response. And given the circumstances, maybe given because given the things that have happened in your past, it makes sense that you might have this response. And instead of blaming yourself for it, you become interested, benevolently curious, you notice without judgment. And from there, you have more options to choose how you're going to, what you're going to do next. Yes. One of the the best ways to start developing awareness of our autonomic responses is to start journaling them. Um, we offer a, um, nervous system reset workbook on our website that is very inexpensive for people to start tracking their nervous system states each day. And we have several exercises that people can do to move, um, intentionally from one state to another. And one of the things I want to really emphasize is that, Sometimes when we're in dorsal vagal collapse, we don't want to be around other people. It, you know, because remember, this is a social engagement system as well, the autonomic nervous system. And we don't want to socialize because we're feeling depressed, we're feeling collapsed. Research shows that when we use our imagination, that can be a very powerful way to move from dorsal into a sympathetic state or and move up the ladder going towards ventral. So if I'm depressed and I'm laying in bed and I can't get out of bed, I can actually use my imagination and either recall a conversation or an event that is that gives me that sense of safe connection 
or I can even imagine texting a friend and letting them know how I'm feeling. And I, I just feel so strongly that we don't want to ever discount the power of our imagination in terms of the healing capacity it can have. Now, eventually we're going to, you know, engage with humans and that's part of the social engagement system. Um, if we are in sympathetic, a great exercise is to um, expel that energy in a, in a healthy way, you know, go for a brisk walk, go, for, go kayaking, um, getting that energy out in a healthy or more adaptive way is really helpful to allow us to then move up the hierarchy to ventral vagal. And so there's so many different little things, micro steps we can do to change our states once we're aware. But if we don't have awareness, we can't do anything. Yes, that's that's absolutely correct. And I um, I have a client in Elk, uh, in Elk Grove in California that I'm working with. And next week, we're going to be working on a narrative that they can use um, through their imagination that can help them move between the states. So we're going to get something typed out so they can pay attention to this and start visualizing these things to bring their nervous system into a different state. So I'm excited to do that with this client. Oh, I love that. Well, as usual, there's so much hope. Um, there is always a path forward to build connection and to do it. I mean, it takes time, but this is why we're, we do this work because it works and we are both products of this work. So hang in there. And we're so glad that you join us each week. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Mending Trauma Podcast. Lane and I are really grateful that you spend time with us each week. We know you have a choice and that time is currency. We would love if you would share this episode on social media and tag us so we can reshare. If you feel so inclined, go and give us a five-star review wherever you listen to pods so that we can get the word out and help more people. We know that we are all working hard on our mental health and we wish you great success this week in implementing these new skills. We'll check in next week.